1: Welcome to What You Missed This Week. I'm Joe Weisenthal. This podcast has some of our favorite interviews from the Daily Market Close show that I co-anchor along with Romaine Bostic and Caroline Hyde. What would you miss? It's the perfect way to kick off your weekend. This week, we started off with some confirmation of who would be leading President-elect Joe Biden's economic team. Biden nominated Cecilia Rouse, the Dean of Princeton School of Public and International Affairs, to lead his Council of Economic Advisors, becoming the first Black American in the position. The picks have shown a priority to lift minority and low-income workers amid an increasingly unequal economic recovery. So to get some perspective on the choices, we caught up with Claudia Sam, Bloomberg opinion contributor and former economist at the Federal Reserve.
2: Right. Well, I completely affirm that there is a story. There is a real emphasis being put on a more diverse policy team and that diversity comes in many dimensions. It's very important to have a stellar researcher and public policy expert in Cecilia Rouse at the chair of CEA. That means a lot. And she is going to do an amazing job. It also means a lot to see Biden drawing on people from different backgrounds, different trainings. Jared Bernstein will be one of the first, if maybe the first, uh, member of CEA not to hold a PhD in economics. I think it is absolutely mm. healthy to get some social scientists, mm. and and Jared is absolutely an economist in the way he's you know worked on economic policy. Yeah, that's that's important to bring diverse viewpoints. I worry that that story is not going to be front and center when the Biden administration takes office next year, because the the pandemic is still right. with us. It is worse than when the campaign put together its platform, thought about its team. And the economic situation is not, we are not going to be in a build back better. We are right. going to be in a, whoa, let's, let's get this yeah. under control.
3: Claudia, I am, uh, I mean, as far as some of the picks that are being made here, I mean, there's a general, there seems to be a general consensus, at least in the market, that what needs to be done with regards to uh, the, the economic recovery and making sure we don't repeat the mistakes of the past couple of recessions is that we do need to think of things in a lot different way. The fact that he's picking people who maybe aren't traditional economists, is the idea here that as we look at this more from a social science perspective we can address some of the inequalities here that maybe traditional economics hasn't been able to solve or at least address
2: there's a chance and so i'll try to be optimistic i think (laughs) frankly and you talked about this before the problem right now is the politics Mm -hmm. the economists the policy wonks we have lots of ideas public health officials have a lot of ideas how to get us to a better place that is not where things are breaking down I truly believe bringing in new opinions, new backgrounds is helpful, but it's also risky, right? We saw with the CARES Act, there were some parts of it that were very innovative, like the Payroll Loan Protection Program, and they really went off the rails in terms of their administration. So the best of ideas, the most well-intended ideas don't always work. And frankly, they're gonna be really, really hard to get through Congress. Claudia, What's
4: interesting is Joe Biden, while on the campaign trail, sort of talked about giving another role and responsibility to the Federal Reserve itself about inequality being at the heart of what it has to face as well. Is that something that in any way Jay Powell can confront apart from in the way that or, you know, just keep running us hot until every single person benefits?
2: The Federal Reserve is taking this step on its own. This administration is going to respect the of the Federal Reserve. You could see with the monetary policy framework, the Federal Reserve, in the way that they talk, which is very quiet and polite, they made a real commitment to full employment. The Council of Economic Advisors has three experts that push on full employment, or labor market experts. What I am very concerned about is we are at least a year, if not more, from that full employment conversation. Do you run it hot? Do you raise rates? Do you cut back on spending? We will get there, But in the meantime, I want to see the Federal Reserve do more. The administration is going to have to be really creative, and Congress, please do something, right? So we'll get there, and it will be very important, and the flag has been planted, but right now, they are words, and that's it.
1: Let's suppose uh, that the politics go nowhere, that there's really no prospect of passing anything meaningful in theory if it's a Republican-held Senate, you know, sort of worst-case scenario politically. Is there anything in your view that can be done now from the Fed or via the administration or from the administration via, say, an executive order like uh, President Trump liked uh, to use that would move the needle, or is it going to be very small bore stuff?
2: There will be every effort, right? And as one example, I am thrilled to have Janet Yellen as the appointee for Treasury Secretary. And in a very narrow sense, thinking about the Federal Reserve policy and this idea of doing something more Janet Yellen knows what the Fed can do and it can't do. I am sure she has read 13.3, the emergency powers part of the Federal Reserve Act more than any person on this Mm -hmm. planet, right? And that depth of knowledge is really important and she has a good working relationship with Jay Powell. So I think that's the best scenario for doing something their hands are gonna be tied in a lot of ways. And some of the decisions that Mnuchin has made about the emergency lending facilities and pulling back the money, that's gonna complicate things. But I fully believe in the creativity of monetary policy. And if they have cover from the administration that the Fed doesn't have to wade into politics, that is a recipe for some movement.
1: The incoming Biden administration is already having to juggle competing demands as they continue to map out their economic agenda for the next four years. One of the most visible, and yes, to some, divisive groups applying pressure is the organization behind Black Lives Matter. The group came together in 2013 as a loose collection of activists and has gone on to push for a national reckoning with systemic racism and the economic inequalities entrenched in the U.S. This week, we spoke with one of the three co-founders of Black Lives Matter, Opal Tometi, and started by asking her if she was satisfied with the direction of the incoming Biden administration based upon the cabinet pick so far.
5: Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm so proud of our social justice movements from across the country that vary across different kinds of sectors of racial justice and immigrant rights, um, women's rights and so on, who really played a vital role in electing uh Joe Biden to be our president and vice president-elect uh Kamala Harris. I think it's really important what we've done in terms of rejecting uh another round of, of Trump as a president and, and really this the, the blatant racism that we were seeing coming from you know the White House. And what we're seeing now with the various people being announced is that some of what we're saying has been heated. Right, Some of what we've been raising over uh, the various months, but even for years now, um, is finally coming to bear and our voices are being listened to. We've taken our protests from the streets and we've, we've channeled that energy and harnessed it at the polls and we're being listened to in different ways. However, I think it's going to be important for us to ensure that those picks that are going to be part of this new administration are not just going to pay us service for our social movements, but that they're going to really have substance behind the rhetoric. And I think we're going to have to pay very close attention to ensure that it's not just symbolic Mm -hmm. representation, but we have substantive representation um, in the White House and beyond. Are you in contact with the transition team?
4: and, And what substantive policy would you like to see prioritized right here, right
5: now? So there are a number of us who are in contact to various degrees with members um, who've been more recently announced to be part of the staff as well as the the formal cabinet um, and some of us who um, are not inside that process, right? And so when I'm here, I'm I'm really just representing a wide range of constituents and and various groups. But I do want to say that We've been in direct conversation and really want more of a formidable seat at the table for all of our groups and the various members of the coalitions that we do um, participate in. And so that to me is incredibly important. The grassroots needs to be able to have a seat at the table. And so you know we join in the calls for that seat to be you know, opened up and for us to be part of shaping our democracy because we are the ones who are are directly impacted right. by the lawmakers, by the decisions that are being made. And we're the ones who've been mobilizing people in the streets. We're mobilizing people to the polls. And so consequently, we should have our voices heard very explicitly. And we shouldn't have to be shouting from a bullhorn, but we should be invited into the halls of uh, to ensure that our concerns are made clear and that they are enshrined into law. And so as we're, we're seeing things come into come and and take shape. I believe we're looking to see that the economic um, packages, right? The economic concerns that so many have, particularly Black communities who are acutely impacted by the downturn as a result of the pandemic, but even preceding the pandemic, have been hit hard um, by the way that our system is is designed. We're looking for substantive changes. We're looking for the same thing for immigrant communities. We're looking for the same thing for students who are reeling with debt and and who are really saddled with so much student loan debt and, and beyond. And so I think we are, um, at a time where we're saying enough is enough. Let's have real adult conversations about the challenges of our day and let's have comprehensive plans that take into account the various ways in which our society and which our people, quite honestly, are being impacted by the laws and by you know just the status quo so- business as usual.
1: So we just have a few uh, moments left here, but obviously presumably some sort of uh, economic recovery package is going to be the top priority for the administration. When you talk about a seat at the table in that conversation for what the uh, uh, a dream recovery package looks like, what are the specific priorities? What needs to be in that from your perspective?
5: In a recovery package, we have to look in- at the priorities of our nation. Are we going to prioritize you know, law enforcement that has been brutalizing our communities, or are we going to prioritize education, jobs programs, um, a safety net that helps support the families who are so acutely impacted by this downturn, who have lost their jobs and don't really have, you know, adequate housing or the ability to provide, mm. you know, food and and so on for their families? Those are the types of of. Basic uh, protections and supports that we're looking at from a, from an economic recovery package that needs to happen right now. You know, we've been yeah. waiting for far too long. No stimulus has has come into being. People got that first you know twelve hundred dollar check, which you know didn't do much for for the average person. And now months later, people are demanding. Yeah that they have some modicum of support given that this pandemic continues to have an undue impact in our society.
0: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
1: Renewed optimism has been one of the key themes of the week. Over in the UK, there was quick approval of the COVID vaccine from Pfizer and BioNTech. And the belief is that more country approvals are ahead in the near future. More and more investors are seeing 2021 as a potential supercharged economic recovery. This shared optimism for the recovery, along with the new Biden administration, is playing out in the markets. We spoke about it all with Paul Krugman, Nobel laureate, New York Times columnist, and distinguished professor of economics in the Ph.D. program at the City University of New York. And we started by asking Krugman if he shares the view that there may be a path back to pre-pandemic economic levels.
6: Well, actually, I'm sorry to say that, yeah, I actually do share that optimism. I, <laughs> you actually, don't have to apologize. No, no reason to be sorry about that. <laughs> probably, probably uh, maybe I'm not feeling well or something. But no, I, I'm actually, for the next year or two, I'm actually quite optimistic. And I think, um, and I've been saying this since, since actually since the spring, that once, once there's a vaccine, once the pandemic has passed, this is not like. 2008, when we came out of the crisis with this huge overhang of household debt and uh, excess uh, uh, overbuilding of housing and so on, uh, this was a. Uh, this we were hit by this sudden blow from the from the virus, and once you, that headwind goes away, um, there's actually pent up demand. There's people have been saving a lot of money, so I'm actually quite optimistic about a, a really quite rapid economic recovery, hmm. um, you know, starting sometime in next year. Uh, not that yeah. doesn't. That's not indefinite, but no, I think actually people are right to be optimistic.
3: Yeah, so there is uh, certainly a, a lot of money uh, right now in terms of household savings. With regards to the labor market, uh, Paul, I am curious as to how the makeup of our economy today, meaning more, much more services-oriented than maybe what it was in the last recession and certainly 20, 30 years ago, how that's going to play into the economic recovery.
6: Well, there is this question uh, whether, you know, can, can we explain? The morning in America type recovery, eight percent growth, like we had coming out of the, the, you know, the. the in some ways, the the pandemic slump looks more like the seventy nine eighty two slump than it does like anything more recent. Um, and the part of the argument against that is, well, we're we're a service economy, not a manufacturing economy, and and durable goods never fell off all that much, uh, which I get. So maybe not eight percent. But on the other hand, you know, there's a lot of this, the unemployment has come out of. Service consumption that just fell off a cliff because people were correctly afraid and still are afraid to consume those services. And uh, once people start going back to restaurants, once people start traveling, um, I don't see why that we can't have a lot of growth. Uh, Again, this is not to say that there aren't problems further down the pike, but uh, there's really I I haven't seen a really good argument about why we can't have uh, at least several quarters of quite rapid growth growth. coming up.
4: What about the problems, not just further down the pike, but the problems right here, right now? Yeah, we have right. talk of potentially a fiscal bridge, a much smaller one than perhaps the Democrats have been talking about. Mm. But is that is that still necessary then, if you still think that we'll have great growth going outside of the virus?
6: Yes. And, and first of all, it's uh, the, the next few months are going to be extremely grim. I mean, they, the, we have uh, this peculiar situation where out there, not too far away, is salvation, but in between is desolation and death. I mean, quite, pretty much literally. Um, and also, um, you want to, and that's it, and that's economic as well as as, as actual, you know, literal death. Um, and the a lot of people are going to suffer uh, gratuitously if we don't have a really good bridge across this. And I anybody's guess. I'm, I'm not too optimistic about the, about the politics. Uh, the one thing to say, and it's kind of cruel, where everybody talks about the, the K-shaped recovery, uh, the people who are suffering most, uh, and they're suffering enormously, and it's our obligation to help them, they also are, don't have a lot of money, don't have a lot of purchasing power, even in the best of times. So the people who are being really hurt, the, you know, the, if you like, I'm optimistic about the economy, not quite so much about, about people. Uh, looking forward. But, you know, we we really should be, above all, I mean, actually everything, every effort should be redoubled, given that we know that there's an end point to this. There's no reason at all for people to be suffering economically. There's no reason at all for us to be having the kind of death tolls that we're having when there's a vaccine that's pretty much just around the corner.
1: So we don't really know if we're going to get that bridge, if we're going to get another stimulus to get us to the vaccine. But, you know, going back this summer, there were a lot of fears about what would happen if the UI expansion was not renewed when it expired at the end of July. And you wrote, you warned that it could be a very big hit without that. It never got expanded at all. And yet we didn't see the hit. In fact, consumption basically uh, continued to rise uninterrupted. It's hard to see where that drop off was in the charts. So have you updated some of your own views on the need for stimulus? And if so, what are sort of the broader lessons you, you take away from what you assessed back in August or the end of July about the need for that stimulus versus what you see now?
6: I still think we really needed it. And in, in some ways we needed it. It would be less urgent now if we had done it then. I mean, where we are now, is it turns out, uh, that there were those UI checks, you know, we sort of unintentionally had a very generous program, and sufficiently so that uh, even a lot of lower-income families uh, managed to put money aside. So it turns out that they had built up reserves that they were able to draw on. Uh, And the other thing that we were really worried about uh, was state and local cuts. Um, And there had been enough maneuvering by state and local governments. To limit the scope of cuts so far, um, and maybe it 's enough to get them through uh, to, to where revenues start to recover with the economy, but you know i don 't think it was wrong to be really worried, but we, we did learn that maybe uh, low income Low, low low wage workers who were so badly dependent and were laid off in such of large numbers uh, were more prudent, if you might say, than when they were receiving those UI payments mm. than we had anticipated. So they were they were better prepared in a way for that for that political impasse than, than, um, than the politicians were.
3: And I know we talk a lot about this being a k shaped recovery, but I'm curious the fact that this uh recession this uh the pandemic didn't hit uh the upper class the wealthier classes as hard as it did uh yeah. the lower income classes is that what is also sort of feeding i guess the overall recovery whether no matter what shape uh, you we want to call it
6: well the, the fact of the matter is that people you know, it, it's the bulk of the purchasing power you know, if we wake people not by by who they, you know, by by their by their human rights, but weight them by they by their contra- by, by their spending power. Uh, most of the most of the spending power was relatively unscathed through all of this, hmm. and uh, if and so uh, overall, I mean, so some a, a huge amount of devastation despite uh, the CARES Act and all of that. Right. But for higher income people, who you know, we're a very unequal country to start with, and and the people who are on the winning side of that actually have been piling money because of all the spending they haven't been doing. So that's that's where the prospects for a fast recovery come from.
1: Our president-elect Joe Biden on Tuesday announcing the team tasked with one of the key challenges of his presidency, which is, of course, keeping the economy's recovery from the coronavirus on track. Paul, I want to start big picture. In the wake of the great financial crisis, you were pretty merciless, mocking what you called the very serious people who like to scratch their chin and talk about the need for Reform and long-term deficit reduction and all that stuff—it feels like they're much quieter these days. Um, do you think there's been significant intellectual evolution over the last ten years about appropriate policies needed to get us out of a slump?
6: Oh yeah, there's been a huge uh, ground shift, and uh, you know, it's a uh, paradigm shift, uh, uh, something like that. I mean, it, the you have ultra-respectable. People like Olivia Blanchard or Larry Summers saying really you know debt is not something to be worried about and uh, and that's actually very much reflected in in the uh, in the Biden uh, economic team. I've been uh, I, I discovered that a, one plural for doves is is a bevy. So this is Biden's bevy of deficit <laughs> doves, right? We've got a we've got a bunch of people who all are are pretty much on the same page that say you know I'm not going to say that fiscal responsibility never matters, but boy is that not at the top of the agenda now, so and and they're reflecting a lot of mainstream economic thinking. That I mean, this is this is uh, uh, whatever credibility all those deficit scare stories of 2013 had, they don't have that, any credibility now.
4: A bevy, interesting. It's also a bevy of of people finally looking slightly different than your usual economists. Yeah. I mean, there's women, people of color. And, and and what are you thinking about the diversity that's at the table of not just the way people look, but, but of their thought? Is there enough new thinking around the Biden administration?
6: Yeah. I mean, it, it, the first thing to say is that this is an amazingly competent group of people. I mean, it's a, it's like night and day. Uh, it's like you know, almost a, a different uh, well, I, I'm gonna say something I shouldn't, but it would anyway, compare it to, to the Trump team. This is a totally different universe of, of people in terms of just actually knowing what they're doing, knowing what they're talking about. Um, and um, so much so that, that it, it, I actually almost feel like a lot of them are overqualified for the positions they're holding. They should all be uh, chair of the Council of Economic Advisors. Um, the second is that they are a group that has very strong progressive uh, credentials, and and they're very different in background. And if you think about, you know, never mind Trump, think about uh, Obama, uh, you know, Tim Geithner uh, versus Janet Yellen, I think about uh, Peter Orzag, but, you know, not a really good guy, but compared it with, with Neera Tanden, uh, you're seeing a really hmm. significant shift towards a much more uh, progressive uh, center left uh, uh, orientation now whether they can actually do anything is going to depend a lot on on politics and particularly on the Senate races in Georgia but they uh, but the orientation is certainly very very different
3: yeah I mean the politics obviously are going to be uh, challenging here to get at least to get anything through Congress um, I, I am curious though I mean it seems like there were some pretty serious lessons that we could have learned from the pandemic and from how we initially responded, uh, not only here in the U.S., but in other countries as well, with regards to uh, forms of fiscal stimulus, forms of uh, what was effectively government aid to sort of keep people, uh, have, keep money in people's pockets. I'm curious as to whether that sort of validates or vindicates the general idea here that the government involvement in the market is necessary if we're going to have a functioning economy, not only when times are bad, but even when their times are good.
6: Well, I would like to hope so. And you know, the uh, the thing to say is also about um, the Biden team and just generally the ground shift. You know, when we're I believe that we're going to have a, a, a brief, uh, hopefully not too brief, period of euphoria once there's a vaccine. But um, underlying, you know, we're still in an economy which was only able to achieve full employment at very low interest rates and, at, uh, and in fact with substantial deficits, if not very well-designed deficits during the Trump years. So the need for uh, some kind of a basically continuing fiscal stimulus over the medium term, and of course the need for lots of public investment, uh, infrastructure, climate change, uh, education, all of those things will remain. So the, the case for um, a much more a- activist uh, you know, pro-market, but also pro, you know, let's fill in where the market doesn't do it uh, attitude on the part of government is, I, I would I'd like to think it was really vindicated by by events over the past few years, including the pandemic.
1: So we don't know who f- for sure, who's going to control the Senate. It obviously depends on right. those Georgia Senate races, but it's very plausible that it's going to be uh, Republican controlled, in which case passing anything may be very difficult, right. which is leading people to look at what, uh, the administration could do unilaterally without uh, the help of the Senate. And one idea that's been floated that could provide some uh, relief to some people is student get debt cancellation up to $50,000. This is very controversial. Some people say it's regressive. There's, there's a lot of ambiguity. Would you support something like that? Would yeah. that be effective in your view?
6: Yeah, well, first of all, you know, it's something you can do. And that's, that's right. kind of important. And, uh, and it's, you know, a full student debt cancellation without a cap. That could be regressive. That would be, uh, you know, uh, lots of future plastic surgeons would be getting uh, relief out of that. But uh, the 50K number is a, is a very different thing. That's gonna get a lot of, among other things, you know, you've got a lot of students who you know, didn't actually manage to get their degrees, but nonetheless ended up with debt. And um, and I think the, you know, the, how much stimulus you get out of that, there's a lot of argument about that. I think that the the low numbers some people are putting out are probably wrong there are a number of reasons, but also it's beyond that it does it does a lot of good things in terms of balance sheets in terms of making leaving people in a position to start new businesses it it's a it's a really uh it you know it I, that i'd love to see you know two trillion dollar stimulus uh, uh infrastructure plan. Um, And this is not going to do anything like that, but it is a it's a good it's a good idea. And it's 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 a pretty good idea that Biden can do even if Mitch McConnell doesn't like it.
0: You know, success when you see it or you think you do the people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
1: Then we caught up with Jed Kolko, the chief economist at Indeed, to get a preview of Friday's jobs report. And we started by talking about the tension between headline unemployment and core unemployment. And we asked Jed if we had turned the corner on core unemployment or if it's still too early to tell.
7: So it... At this point, it's still too early to tell what's going to happen with core unemployment. Uh, Some, of course, uh, depends on what happens with the virus. Uh, Ultimately, uh, treatments, vaccines, and containment are going to determine what happens in the labor market. Um, We've seen the huge decline in the headline rate uh, as lots of people who were temporarily furloughed uh, have gone back to work. Um, But there's still a lot of underlying damage uh, that needs to be repaired in the labor market.
3: There is a lot of underlying damage, and I am curious, there, there seems to be a general assumption, at least uh, in financial markets, that because a lot of the jobs lost were in the services economy, that that switch is going to be a lot easier to turn back on, presuming we are out there going to restaurants and traveling, et cetera. What do you make of that general idea, and how much of an effect could that have in sort of recouping the losses that we had during the pandemic?
7: I think for some sectors, it may feel like flicking a switch. Uh, restaurants, uh, retail, Uh, might be able to reopen, rehire pretty quickly. Um, But even with the vaccine, uh, there are other services sectors that will take longer to recover. Arts and entertainment, sports um, may take longer to recover. They've uh, uh, incurred more severe damage. Uh, It may take them more to hire. Uh, And when it comes to air travel uh, accommodations, uh, there may be uh, facilities that need to get restarted, uh, equipment that needs to be uh, brought back online. Um, And so that recovery might be a bit slower. Also, um, some of the sectors that weren't as directly affected by the pandemic, uh, some of the sectors where people can work from home, tech, finance, professional services, have seen job losses too. And those won't reverse right away when there's a vaccine. Those are the types of sectors that uh, hire more expensive people. It's a slower process. Um, They will wait to hire until we see more underlying confidence in the economy. Um, And that's another area uh, of services uh, that could still hold back mm. the recovery, even with the vaccine.
4: I mean, I bring it back to anecdotal evidence again, but I can't tell you how hard it is to get back care at the moment when, say... For childcare, my nanny's not able to come in. It has been totally, I've been left completely unable to get hold of any sort of childcare day after day. And I'm, I, I, even though the support that's given here and it, from other business, it, the, the supply just isn't there. And I'm interested from a childcare perspective, like how people, when until schools reopen really, mm-hmm. when people, how that has changed, how many people have left their jobs to just give full-time care to their children, how that sort of ecosystem looks and where, where you're looking at disparities building in the labour market.
7: Yeah, we see this very clearly in the data when we compare parents, when we compare mothers versus hmm. fathers, uh, there's been a much bigger drop in paid employment uh, for mothers than for fathers during this pandemic. Uh, we don't see the same gap uh, for men and women who don't have kids. And that's really strong evidence hmm. that it's the lack of childcare care uh, and school closures that have created uh, really challenging burdens that mothers bear the brunt of. Uh, and have really conflicted uh, with um, being the labor market. Um, that should change um, uh, hopefully soon after there's a vaccine. Um, of course, there are also people who might have been hesitant to work um, mm-hmm. if they work in in-person jobs and you know, they're concerned about getting the virus. Um, that also hopefully um, should change soon after there's a vaccine in place.
1: You know, this gets to an interesting question because you have, uh, obviously, access to a lot of uh, sort of granular look at um, job openings data at Indeed, and uh, you track that pretty regularly uh, on your site. Are we seeing, um, what about the length of time it takes companies to hire? Like, are there indications from how long postings are staying up? that can speak to the question of whether uh, you know the significance of labor supply constraints?
7: I think some of the evidence um, really comes from the kinds of jobs that are being posted. Um, a lot of the jobs that really have uh, been uh, more prevalent during this pandemic uh, are those that tend to be quicker to fill. Um, they're the types of jobs that help support the stay-at-home economy, uh, driving jobs, warehouse jobs, as well as some uh, medical technician and pharmacy jobs. Um, and as the labor market, Uh, has shifted toward those jobs, uh, away from some of the slower-to-fill jobs like tech and finance, Um, we have seen a shift there. Um, I mean, I think uh, there are some uh, factors holding labor supply back, uh, but for the most part, um, it's a problem of labor demand, uh, of not enough jobs rather than unwilling workers. And what does that mean for wages going forward here, Mm. Jed? Uh, So for wages, uh, we are likely to be in a period uh, of higher unemployment uh, than we were before the pandemic. Uh, Even with a vaccine, uh, we're likely to see unemployment uh, remain above that three and a half percent that we saw just before the pandemic hit. Um, That's probably going to mean uh, slower wage growth uh, than we saw. Um, The numbers will look a little off because there are such big compositional shifts uh, in terms of employment right now. Uh, The biggest job losses, of course, have been in low wage jobs, uh, which has made it look like uh, average wages have gone up more than they actually have. Um, Once those compositional shifts uh, settle out, uh, we're probably going to see slower wage growth uh, just because the unemployment rate is going to be higher than it was pre-pandemic.
4: Jed, as we sort of reflect on the support systems and how they differ from one country to another, you know, I, I think of over in Europe where many people were put on furlough but remained, there was sort of the business was given money to keep people on board so they could just bring them back as and when they are able to open their doors again. Whereas here in the US, the way the system works is you have to lay off people for them to be able to get their unemployment benefit. Do you have any perspective of where the damage is going to be harshest in the labour markets, which
7: one worked rather than which one didn't? So we, first of all, see this very clearly in differences in the data. The huge spike we saw in unemployment here in the U.S. uh, was because of that temporary unemployment. Uh, It looks very different uh, in places where government relief was really focused on keeping that employer-employee relationship intact. So you didn't have those temporary furloughs and recalls. The biggest differences that we've seen uh, in terms of job postings uh, is how much of the labor market is in jobs that people can do from home Um, in uh, types of local, the types of national economies um, where more jobs are in sectors that can't be done from home. That's where we've seen um, the bigger decline uh, in job postings.
1: And that's it for what you missed this week. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can catch our show every weekday from 3.30 to 5 p.m. on Bloomberg TV and from 4 to 5 p.m. on Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.
0: It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.